Turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. I'm going to have you in a number of places this morning, but we're going to start there this morning. Acts chapter 12. There is no PowerPoint this morning, but I'm still going to hold it because I just, it's a habit, right? (laughs) Yeah, so it's just one of those things. Acts chapter 12, first verse. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Let me pray with you. Father, I'm your servant. There's a lot on my heart today that I want to share that I believe you have given me. Would you help me to share it in freedom, in anointing, and in the power of the Holy Spirit? Because in and of myself, I am nothing. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. What do we have in this passage? We have a story, a brief story, that tells us that Herod actually was the grandson of Herod the Great. Uh, This Herod was put in place by the Roman Emperor Claudius. And he ruled in the Judea area from 41 to 44 A.D., but... Um, we see here where it tells us that he had James killed. Now, James was the first of the disciples to be martyred. This, this was significant. James, in a lot of our passages, James was kind of one of the big dogs, okay? You know, he was taken to the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, along with Peter and John. He was the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, and he was killed. And it says that it so delighted the people, it so delighted the Jews that Herod decided to have another big dog in the whole movement arrested. And we can only assume if you're a Peter, put yourself in Peter's shoes. What are you expecting to take place? You know what's coming. They had just killed Peter, or they had just killed James, and here is Peter in prison. It says there are four squads of soldiers that are watching him. Uh, If you do some research, many believe that's about a total. There's uh, four soldiers per squad, so that's 16 men that were watching him. Uh, We're given indication in this chapter that they had him shackled, and they were uh, uh, shackled to the guards right there in prison. And then there were some other guards out by the gate watching things there. And I believe they just were rotating on a, about an every five or six hour rotation. And so there was heavy protection against Peter. He was not getting out. And if you're Peter, you're sitting there in prison and you know what's going to come. You know that you're probably going to be next. 
how do you think you would feel? Keep your finger there if you want, but go to Matthew 14 now. We're going to expand this a little bit. Matthew 14. Matthew 14. I told you to turn there, and I forgot to turn there. Here we go. Matthew 14, starting with verse 22. Uh, probably one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible. Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I meant to tell you that towards the end of the message, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 12 because there is a concept in that passage of Peter being in prison that I want to go over. But now we're in Matthew 14 and the famous Jesus and Peter walking on the water. And my question to you this morning is, have you ever had a time in your life when you just wanted to do something absolutely crazy for Jesus? Something that made no sense, something that was totally illogical, something that you knew if God was not in it, you were going to be in trouble. Have you ever had a time like that? I have. It's kind of hard to actually do it. And I believe Peter did as well. If you look at this passage, what all took place here? Jesus is walking on the water, and it tells us that it was in the fourth watch of the night. And biblical studies tells us that was around anywhere from 10 to 11 p.m. in the evening. And so here are these guys. These are seasoned fishermen. They knew what they were doing, and they're out there in the sea, and they're in trouble. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. They all thought that he was a ghost. They were scared to death. We probably would be too. But Peter, 
Peter saw Jesus, and whenever they all realized it was really him, and he was doing one of these incredible feats, one of these incredible events, do you notice that Peter was the only one willing to ask the question, Lord, if it is truly you, command me to get out and come walk on the water. Why would you do that? Why would anyone ask such a crazy question? Many of you have heard this phrase, this, uh, this thought, this concept. Um, I've heard Stephanie's dad say it before. And, you know, if, if all your friends go do something crazy, the statement is, yeah, if your friends jump off the bridge, would you follow them off the bridge? Would you jump too? Of course not. You want it. And here it is. Here is Peter. What would make him think that he could even get out of the... That, we just don't think like that. I believe there was something inside of Peter that wanted to do something crazy for God. He wanted to be a part of something so dynamic, so incredible that he wanted that. His heart, he was the only one. What made him ask that? And what's interesting is that he didn't go, though, until Jesus said, come. He asked Jesus, if it's really you... Tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. Now, what an incredible invitation, right? How many times, though, do we miss those God-divine moments because we hear the voice of God, but we fail to act? And I believe that when Peter did this, something changed. When he began to do that, He had to have been thinking to himself, I'm thinking like the karate kid, I'm not going to do anything like that. But as he was doing this, as he was getting out of the boat, he had to have been thinking, what am I doing? I must be crazy. This is stupid. What am I doing? But at the same time, his heart had to have been leaping for joy. Because he was actually doing it. He was actually doing something that made no sense whatsoever. Because Jesus said, come. Can you imagine the moment as he was lifting his foot to go out of the boat? Wow. And before he knew it, eyes on Jesus, before he knew it, he was walking on water. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if somehow Jesus made the particles, the HTO, the the water particles just kind of harden and form with every step. I don't know what happened, but Jesus changed it. He not only was able to control the waters for himself, he controlled the waters for Peter in front of him. Wow. Have you ever wanted to do something just crazy for God? But you thought, this makes no sense. Nah, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, we know the story with Peter and how it ends. Peter was willing to ask the audacious question of doing something crazy for God. We know how the story ends, though. This was not one of Peter's greatest moments in life. Easy for us to pick on him, but how many of you and I would be willing to pick our foot up out of the boat? At least he was willing to do that. Of course, we know that Peter got his eyes off of Jesus, started to look around the wind and the waves, and he became afraid, and we know that he sank and Fear and doubt took over. 
You see, fear and doubt has a way of robbing us of God-divine moments in our life. Do they not? Yes, they do. Fear can ruin these God appointments, these divine appointments with God. And any time that you believe that you have heard from God, you believe that you know God has told you to do something and fear sets in, where do you think that fear comes from? From the evil one. That's his job, is to try and rob you, is to try and take you out of that moment for God. You know, this is not the only place in the Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 12 now. Genesis chapter 12. This is not the only place in the Bible where God asked someone to do something that made absolutely no sense. Here's another one. Starting with verse 1, Genesis chapter 12, 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I want you to notice what is taking place here. God just asked Abram, he's not yet Abraham, God just asked Abram to do something crazy. To do something that made absolutely no Sense. And really what this story is, is about comfort zones. We all have comfort zones. We all have our comfortable chairs, our comfortable sofas, our comfortable whatever. We all have them. And here, God tells Abram, I want you to get out of your country, leave your family, and leave your father's house. Just think about what he was asking Abram to do. In my mind, here is Abram. Get out of your country. Abraham, Abram and Sarah, they were comfortable in their country. They knew all the grocery stores to go to. They had all their favorite restaurants picked out that they went to all the time. They knew the perfect place where to take the dog groomer. You kind of know what I'm trying to say here, right? Everything was familiar to them. Everything was comfortable to them. They knew the back streets. They knew how to get around the traffic jams. They knew everything. They loved this country. God says, I want you to leave it. He says, I want you to leave your family. My goodness, your family. Hmm. Kind of reminds me of when God called Stephanie and I 15, 60-some years ago. We were here. We were comfortable. Our family was here. It was hard to leave that. And here is Abram. My goodness, they were together with family all the time. They celebrated birthdays together. They had Christmas, well, they didn't have Christmas parties. They celebrated Christmas parties together. They were friends with their neighbors. They were with family all the time. They would eat with them all the time. They would celebrate the victories and the joys and the sadnesses together. And he asked them, I want you to leave all of that. And he also said, I want you to leave your father's house. 
If you read at the tail end of chapter 11, it tells us that Abram's father had passed away. So from an emotional standpoint, you think that you would want to stay there. You would want to stay at home. Perhaps uh, Abram was next in line to take over the family business. I don't know. He was 75 years old at the time, but maybe he was living, living even in his father's place. I don't know. But he said, I want you to leave it all. Would you be able to do that? Made no sense. Made no sense whatsoever. You see, this was not just a test of Abraham's obedience. I don't, I don't believe that God was just testing him to see if he would obey, but he also, hear me on this, he also wanted to show Abram that he was really all that Abram needed. You think you need your country. You think you need your family. We do. Because he's given them to us. You think you need your fault, but you don't need them more than you need me. What you need more than anything is me. Can you imagine the conversation that he had with his family? Abram, this God told you to do. How do you know this God told you to leave? Well, it's kind of hard to explain. How do you know? I don't, I think I know. Well, where are you going to go? I don't know. How are you going to get there? I don't know. Well, are you going to know when you get there? I don't know. How are you going to take care of your family on the way? I don't know. Question after question. Do you think that wasn't hard for him? And one more thing in this passage before we go to the next. It also says, and go to the land that I will show you. He hadn't already shown him the land. It's like, are you kidding, God? You want me to go? Where are you going? I'm not going to tell you that. What I want you to do is go. What I want you to do is pick your foot up out of the boat and tell me and show me that you are willing to do what I'm calling you to do. He hadn't shown him the land yet. Folks, let's be real. We don't live like that, do we? We don't live with this kind of reckless abandonment today. We don't live with this kind of trust. Typically, we don't act like this. When I say we, I'm including myself. We want guarantees. It's easy to live as though we don't need God, if you think about it. We have our 401Ks, our retirement plans, our portfolios. We have our IRAs. We have our jobs. We have our health insurance and our life insurance. And dare I say, the North American church is the same way. As long as people are giving, as long as we have a large nest egg in our savings account, why do we need? And I'm telling you, and maybe there's just one person in here today that needs to hear this. There are times whenever I believe God wants us to do something illogical. Makes no sense whatsoever to prove that He is God. I believe that the majority of our lives are lived on a Monday through Thursday disciplined commitment with God. You get up, you have your time with, with, with God in prayer and in the Word. You get up, you're disciplined, you do your thing. You, you are committed to God. But there are those times 
when God wants you to do something different. Hmm. God wants you to do something different. Typically, though, we live very controlled, self-sufficient lives, and rarely do we take chances and do we risk anything for God. But this passage here in Genesis 12 is all about comfort zones. Go to Genesis chapter 22. Another famous passage. Genesis chapter 22. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read this whole passage, but I want us to look at several things. As you're turning there, Genesis chapter 22, the famous story. God had told Abraham, now he's Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your son, go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. That's the story there in a nutshell. A story that none of us can really relate to. I mean, I, I couldn't. Parker's here and Jenna's here this morning. If God asked me to sacrifice them, could you do that to your child? <laughs> no. But in this passage, verse 1 This is what God's telling him in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Stop. Several things I want to put on in this passage. There are people, and I've had conversations with them, there are some people in the Christian faith that do not believe that God tests his children. I disagree with that. The Bible tells us on various occasions that God will test us. For various reasons. God may test our faith. He may may be trying to bring about. I believe there are times that God wants us, in order for God to get us where he ultimately wants us to be, there are times when he will send us through a test. Tests are not fun, are they? We've already heard this morning about some tests. But if you're going through a difficulty, and I preached a message about this a while ago, The lifelines during the storms of life or something like that. If you're going through something difficult that you know is not of your own accord, that you you did not uh, get out of God's will or maybe there was no sin that you know that you took place in to create your storm because that happens. But if you know you're in something that you did not really create for yourself, God is wanting to use that. God might be wanting to test you through that time to see if you're going to hang in there. So verse 1, we see that verse number 2 is a powerful message. It says, Then he said, God said to Abraham, Now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Time to wake up, somebody. We'll just kind of wait for that alarm to go off and, and we'll continue on our... Yeah, everyone's checking your phone. Everyone get your phone out and see if that's you right now. It's not me. All right, okay. <laughs> Ray is back to going... <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. We got time. We're fine. I want you to take your son, your only son. It's almost as if God was telling Abraham here, I know, I know how special Abraham is, or Isaac is to you. I know that. 
I know, Abraham, I know that I told you that I'm going to give you and Sarah a son late in life and in your old age. And I told you, I know, Abraham, that I told you that he was going to be the one that a nation would be born. I, I, I know that. I know what I'm asking you, Abraham. But will you obey me? And to you and I, at times, during these times where God wants to do an incredible work, he very well may get us out of our comfort zones, and he may ask us to sacrifice in the time being. Times when God may say to us, I I know what I'm asking you to do. I know I'm asking you to give this up or give that up. I I know how important this is to you. I I get that. And my question to you and myself this morning is, what might you be holding on to this morning that is keeping you from experiencing a God-divine moment? What is it that maybe God wants to do so incredible in your life, but you're holding on to something that you don't want to let go of? One of the lines that I heard uh, one of the evangelists say at Hollow Rock was, you never, you will never know how, now hear this, You will never know how important something is to you until the moment that God asks for it. Let me say that again. You'll never know how important something is until the moment that God asks for it. I know it's your son, it's your only son. God wants to know if you're going to obey and who do you love more. Verse 5, there's an incredible point that I want to bring about. Let's read this. And Abraham said to his young men, this is what Abraham said, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come, we will come back to you. Did you get that? Did you hear what that just said? Ah, right, Carol. We will come back to you. Look, for all, I mean, for all intents and purposes, two were going up and only one should be coming down. Abraham knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to kill his son, but yet even before it happened, he already believed that God was going to take care of it. He already believed, and it tells us in Hebrews, that Abraham believed that even if God had allowed him to kill his son, he believed that God would raise his son up. That is crazy faith, folks. Not only is this a story of incredible obedience of Abraham, it is a story of incredible faith. Abraham act like, I'm not going to worry about it. God's got it. Wow. What faith. What faith. Verses 7 and 8. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, wow, what a moment this was. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? By the way, I don't know if you realize this. This is a little bit of an extra piece, but this is the area. Mount Moriah is the same place where Jerusalem is today. And how interesting it is that it tells us that Abraham put the wood on Isaac's back and they went up to the mountain. 
The very same mountain where the the cross was put upon the back of Jesus Christ. The very same area where Jesus Christ walked off the hill of Mount Calvary saying, where? And then uh, Isaac said, where is the lamb? And Jesus said, I am the lamb. Wow. But that's just a little bit of an extra piece. How crazy is that? Verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. What's the point that we're saying here? If God is asking you to do something that makes no sense and you're worrying about what's going to happen here, how is God going to take care of this? Basically, Abraham said, I don't know how it's going to work out, but God is going to provide. That's the kind of crazy faith that Abraham showed all throughout this experience. Verse 10 through 13. I hasten here. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. There's a couple incredible points here that I want to make. Do you realize that God did not reveal the lamb caught in the thicket until Abraham went like this? Whatever questions you may have for the future, God has the answer. God already has the provisions. He's already taken care of. He just may be waiting for you to act. I'm not saying get ready to kill somebody. You know what I'm saying here. That's kind of a... God has what you need. But many times He's waiting for us to... What are you holding on to that is keeping you from? But God, I've got to sacrifice this. I can't sacrifice this in order to. God's saying, I've got the ram. All you need to do is step out of the boat. And also notice one thing here. I find it very interesting that God said, now I know that you fear God. Or the angel of the Lord said, now I know that you fear God. Why did he not say, now I know that you love the Lord? To me, there's a difference. There's a difference between loving and fearing. Now, a lot of times we have negative connotations to fear. But I find it interesting that The angel of the Lord chose the word fear. Now, not in a negative connotation, but I believe what what he was telling Abraham is he said to Abraham, I know that not only do you love the Lord and you're going to obey, but you so fear God that you are afraid of what would happen if you did not obey. See, there's a healthy kind of fear, too. There's a healthy kind of fear that, that prompts us, that causes us, that urges us. We have got to do this. And if we don't do this, I fear what is going to happen in my life. That's some crazy love, crazy faith, crazy obedience on the part of Abraham. In verse 14, 
I would love just to dwell here. Verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide as it is to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Listen, the Lord will provide. I believe that there are times, there should be times along the pathway of our life when we should plant stakes and signs. Boom, here that says God provided here. And then five years down the road, boom, God provided here. Boom, God provided there. Times when we took a chance for God. Times when we were obedient for him that made no sense, but God provided here. Ryan, are you, are you making that clock go quicker than it usually goes? Because it is really going on me here. I'm not going to read that. And because Abraham, now, now, now look at what happened because of Abraham's obedience. Because a- Abraham loved the Lord, because he believed in the Lord, because he had faith, crazy faith, because he obeyed, because he feared the Lord, look at what God did. Not only did he save Isaac, that's the short-term success story, but look what God did. He created an entire nation, the nation of Israel, where, the, where the, the people numbered the stars of the sky and numbered the sands of the sea. He also provided the law and the Ten Commandments. He provided the lineage through which the Messiah would come. The lineage for Jesus Christ. The lineage for your Savior, my Savior, in whom God told Abraham in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, in whom all the nations would be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed when it didn't make sense to obey. Because God has a way of making logic out of the illogical. All of that happened. You and I have been made, have been given away to be partakers of the grace of Jesus Christ, of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, because Abraham... I want to go back to Peter, and then I'm going to try and wind this up. I believe that one of the reasons why, why Jesus was disheartened and was disappointed in Peter, yes, we know, Peter, you failed, you, oh, ye of little faith, and uh, you, let the, you let the wind and the waves make you afraid and anxious. I believe that one of the reasons was that, but I also believe And he knew what Peter missed out on. What do I mean by that? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought what would have happened had Peter not doubted? Had Peter not been fearful? I've never heard that question posed before. God threw that question to my mind several weeks ago. Think about it for a second. The Bible tells us that they were on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long by about 8 miles wide. And it says that around 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and it says they were in the middle of the sea, and that's when Jesus came to them. So they're about smack dab in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? Here comes Peter. Had Peter not doubted, See, Jesus was disappointed because he knew, he probably knew what could have happened. He, he knew that he could have told those 11 disciples that didn't have the faith, 
Perhaps he could have told them, you know what, you guys go on ahead. Peter and I will meet you later. Tells us that Jesus calmed the sea. So Peter could have had a couple of hours alone with Jesus just walking on the sea. Four to six miles of uninterrupted time walking on the sea. Talk about a memory that you will never forget. Perhaps Jesus, and this is where my crazy mind goes, perhaps Jesus wanted to take Peter out, just say a mile, let's just walk over here, and then they would just sit down in Indian style, and they're just going to sit down on the sea. Maybe Jesus had every intention of looking at Peter, and they were just going to watch the stars up above. Maybe Jesus wanted to tell Peter about the time that he and God the Father and the Holy Spirit created it all. As they're looking up at the stars, maybe he wanted to tell Peter, see that cluster of stars up there? I remember the day that we made that. I remember the exact time that the Father and I created those clusters of stars. Here in several years, your human, humanity will call that a galaxy, and some people will call that the Milky Way, but I remember the exact moment. What Peter gave up. The experience that Peter gave up. Because he feared and he doubted. Folks, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live in such a way that when God calls me to do something that makes no sense, that I'm going to be afraid to pick my foot up out of the boat. I hasten to close. This is a different message. I understand that. What, again, what I'm, what I'm proposing here doesn't necessarily happen every day. Yes, I know we live in complete faith and dependence upon God every day, but there are those times when God will call us to do something that makes no sense. But I want you to notice something that's very important. When, when Peter had the, the guts, the spiritual fortitude to ask the question, he did not act until Christ said, come. We don't act, we don't move until Christ says, come. So how do we know if God really wants us to do something that is just crazy? A couple of things real quick. You must first be in tune with God on a daily basis. You must ask God every day to reveal His plan to you. And once, and, and, and there may become times to where you're going to say, whoa, that's completely out of the blue, God. You sure you want me to do this? Pay attention to those times of spiritual restlessness in your soul. They could be signs that God is stirring you and God is preparing you to do something different. Look for the signs through prayer, through the Word, perhaps sermons or uh, sermons that you hear on the radio. But there's one more thing, and I'm going to end with this. There's one more thing to know that God is indeed causing you to do something that just is crazy. Go back to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Again, here is Peter in prison. He knows that he's as good as dead. It just killed James. The crowd was in a uproar. Herod knew that they loved it. Peter was next. Look at verse 5. 
Peter was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And here we go, verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. Stop. How is this possible? The last thing that you're going to have when you know God's calling you to do something crazy is you're going to have a peace that passes all understanding. Somewhere along the way between his experience on the water and here in prison, something happened to Peter. I believe personally it was on the day of Pentecost when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, but something happened to Peter. Peter had learned to give and yield his life totally and completely to God. Folks, there will come times in our life when God will ask you to give it all. Hold nothing back. And here with Peter, he's there in prison, and he was saying to himself, as Paul would say, well, to live is Christ and to die is gain, so it doesn't matter what's going to happen. I might as well just go to sleep. He had an incredible peace that passed all understanding. And when Peter learned to not allow fear to ruin those divine moments with God, he experienced peace. And you know that God is in it when you experience peace. A peace that says, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know how He's going to do it. I don't know when He's going to do it. I don't know where He's going to do it. But I know that God's going to take care of this. And look, you know, the walking on the water was not a great memory for Peter, but this was. If you read the rest of Acts chapter 12, it tells us this. Because Peter believed in God and he went to sleep and he did this whole message that we're talking about, you know what happened. The angel of the Lord came in the middle of the night and just tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, get up. Those shackles that were on his wrist just just fell off. And before he knew it, he was walking past these guards and he came to the gate. And just like in some kind of a Marvel's superhero movie, the gate, it says the gate just opened on its own. That's not me making that up. That's the, God, that's the truth. That's what happened. And Before Peter knew it, it says when he came to himself, when he woke up, or when he came to himself, he said, now I know that God is in control. Now that I know that God has directed all of this, and he ended up going to family and they couldn't believe it. Wow. What about you? Is God talking to anyone here this morning? Maybe he's wanting you to do something crazy. Maybe he's not, but maybe he's asking someone here today to start asking that question to God. To be willing to ask audacious questions to God. Something that's illogical. Something that will cause you to lift your foot out of the boat. And I encourage you this morning to not let fears keep you from lifting your foot out of the boat. Ask God to reveal himself to you and be willing to lift your foot out of the bow. Let's pray. Father God, I want to be that kind of a person. It's easy, especially the older that we get, to stop taking chances for you. But Lord, 
Maybe there's this one person this morning that you've been tugging at their heart for a while now to do something that makes no sense. Lord, obviously through a series of confirmations, you know, you will lead us and you will guide us. But God, there comes a moment to where we know that we know that you have said, come. And God, will we obey? Will we act? God, help us to be obedient this morning. Help us to act. I bind the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ from working in someone's life here this morning. Lord, I pray that we all will begin to live more like this to where we won't allow fears to keep us from those God-divine moments. Thank you, God, for hearing us. Thank you for speaking to me through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.